Welcome to the Topeka First podcast. We are one church with several locations. Our mission is to reach our community with the message of Jesus. If you would like to give to support this podcast and the ministries of our church, please visit topekafirst.com giving. Enjoy the podcast. Well, this morning we have a very special mission speaker with us. Uh, Rick Unruh is here with us. A- am I slaughtering your last name? Okay. I wanted to make sure I was doing it right. So we have him, and he is going to share the word with us and his story. Open your hearts to what God is speaking this morning. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. It's always great with the second service because first service, I'm always time constrained. And Pastor Mike says, as long as we're out by two or three, you guys would all be happy and no one would be hungry, right? Yeah, don't leave yet. I'm just kidding. So anyway, uh, it's it's exciting to be here. I'm going to share my story with you, but kind of kind of give you the updated version. Then we're going to jump back and walk through several uh, things that I've been through and how God has has led me to where I'm at today. But for the past uh, five previous five years, I've been on staff at a church in Wichita, executive pastor there. Uh, it was a great church. Extremely happy. Uh, figured that really I would probably retire there. And uh, last spring, God started stirring in my heart this idea of being an evangelist, which I traveled as an evangelist before, but uh, also, you know, nowadays it's a totally different game. It's not like it used to be, where evangelists could be full-time, but that was, I got this story and this message to to bring to people, and so I finally made the decision to to resign. I was going to work a secular job during the week, travel weekend speaking, and uh, it was hard. I had people telling me I was crazy. I had family members that were saying, what are you thinking? <laughs> you know, uh, God is using you right where you're at. But, you know, there's times God just stirs in our heart and we know that we've got to do something. And so last July, I resigned and I posted on Facebook my resignation. And literally within two hours, I received an email from Billy Thomas, the senior director of U.S. Maps out of headquarters. And he said, we need to talk. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing when someone says that to you. Uh, but this time it was a good thing. And he says, you know what? We just created this brand new position. And he said, I had you in mind for it when we created it. And so I want you to, so again, it began a scope of uh, conversations, applications to get approved as a, as a home missionary. That's exactly what I am working with MAPS. Uh, and one of my... Uh, Primary goals is to, to bring awareness to what MAPS is. And, you know, but the interesting thing is how many times do we know God asks us to take that step of faith, and it's scary. But you know what? He's always got that landing for us. He's always got that next step. If I had known what this next step was be, it was going to be hard to leave the great people, but it would have been a much easier transition. But I was willing to say, all right, God, I'm all in. No matter if that means working secular job during the week and traveling weekends, I'm all in. So MAPS is a really cool organization, Mission America Placement Services, and there's three legs to it. It's, uh, the first leg is the RVers, and that's probably the most popular uh, one that we have, and that's people that are retired, semi-retired, and they travel around uh, helping build churches. I, I tell people they're building the kingdom by building the kingdom. They go to churches, they provide the materials, and then they provide all the labor for free. So last year alone... They saved uh, churches in, across America over $2.5 million in labor charges. Now, the interesting thing about that, that's the Assemblies of God statistic that they keep track of. 
they only allow $20 an hour in calculating what that would be. When's the last time you hired a skilled labor person for $20 an hour, right? I mean, concrete guys, electric guys, they build a church from, from ground up. So really, that number could be 7 to $9 million that it would have cost to hire a skilled person to come in and do a lot of that stuff. Add interest on top of that, and really it's mind-boggling the money that is being saved and put back into the kingdom. So we're able to help teen challenges, Christian schools, churches, all these different organizations uh, with RVers. The part of the issue is, is that our numbers continue to decline, so when Billy talked to me, he says, we've created this new position that while you're out traveling speaking, you're also representing maps and bringing awareness and letting people know that this is out there. I met a teacher last uh, or a month or two ago, teaches in Manhattan, and then on, on spends a summer working with the RVers. Again, you can donate a week a year, a month a year, two months, whatever that may be, and it's, it's amazing uh, what God can do. The second leg is church teams, and that's literally just a group of you within the church, 10, 15 men and women that want to go uh, for a week and do ministry and help build. Or, again, we have ministry options or building options or a combination of both of those uh, where you can be a part of that. So church teams is the other part. And the third leg of that is the short-term missions, where you can go for a two-month to a two-year assignment, uh, and that's helping. We, we have some great needs there. Uh, from that is more ministry, not just building. That is more ministry type things uh, from people that are needing help that can't afford uh, maybe staff people and different things, but you're able to come in as a missionary, uh, raise your support, and go be a blessing to them. So uh, it's really a, a cool thing. Now, now some people say, well, if I don't have an RV, well, I understand that because listen, if I if I was praying to be a part of travel full time uh, with the RVers, again, I'm traveling and, and then I'm working with the church teams during the week. I would be praying, God, bless me with one of those big rigs, right? If I'm going to live in that thing and I'm going to travel and I'm going to donate my labor and, and all of that, Lord, I want me a big rig. And listen, God may bless you with a big rig. But I love this slide of Eliza. Uh, this, this is really cool. And her perspective on it is so amazing. That's a 1994 Voyager. She has two tents set up to the side. She sleeps in her van. She has a kitchen in one tent, a living room in the other tent. You know what she says? She says, I was praying, God, please provide a way for me to go and bless churches by being a part of the RVers. And she said, God bless me with a 94 Voyager. How many of you know sometimes we're praying big prayers and God does some different things, and sometimes we fail to see the hand of God. What I love about her is her perspective on it. God bless me with an amazing opportunity to be a part of the RVers. There's another slide with... Uh, uh, gentleman that he was actually, uh, Paul, I almost forgot his name there, he's blind, he's legally blind. Well, God, how could you ever use me? What could I ever do? And so he actually took on a short-term missionary associate position, and he was helping the ministry for the blind through the Assemblies of God. That eventually rolled into a full-time position. Now he was the head of our division that reaches out uh, to the blind through the Assemblies of God. So it's an amazing uh, opportunity and who knows what God builds out of those things as stepping stones just as it was uh, for Paul. So if you're interested in any options, please you know let me know, contact me if you can't today, pick up my card, email me, uh, you know let's talk about some options that may be out there for you. So that's kind of the updated version of where I am now. Now let's jump back 
a little ways. But first of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to set the tone here and we'll end up in chapter 7. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. Man, that is a powerful statement right there. The God of all comfort who comforts us in our affliction. But the interesting thing, and we're going to drive this point home at at the end of the message is, is that many, many times God uses people to deliver that message of comfort. That God is ultimately the God that provides it, but that we as people are now engaged with other people and are allowed to bring that message. And he goes on to say, so, uh, so, that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves were comforted. How many of you know that when you've walked through a trial and you've walked through a situation and then you find you are talking to someone else that's going through a very similar situation. Do you understand that you communicate on a different level? That you can talk to them in a different level because you've walked down that issue. You've seen those dark days. You understand the hopelessness sometimes of it. And so may it be that sometimes the things that happen in our life is God preparing us Some of the questions and some of the whys that we have, is it God preparing us for a divine appointment someday? Think about it so that you may be able to say, listen, the God that brought me through it, the God that pulled me out of the mire and clay is the same God that can deliver you. And that's the heart of the message today. And as I jump back to 1984, I'm a senior at Great Bend High School, and during that summer, I just radically, you know, had been a Christian all my life, but, you know, kind of wishy-washy up and down and, and radically changed. And I go back my senior year, and I'm on fire for God, and, and cool things are happening, and the, the youth group is exploding, and, and if you could kind of write a storybook ending to a senior year, it, it really had a lot of those elements in it. It was just like, wow, this is amazing. God was doing so many cool things. I'll never forget as we come into January and we were playing in a basketball tournament and it was in McPherson and my parents who rarely ever, ever missed a game. I'll never forget her coming into my room that Monday or Wednesday morning. She's saying, Rick, you know, something's come up. I, I may not be there Friday night for your game, but I don't want you to worry. And, you know, you're kind of in high school. All right, life is great. No problem, Mom. You know, looking back in hindsight, the sirens and alarms should probably have been going off. As we finished that game that night, we suffered our first loss of the season, and I'm walking back to the locker room. There stands my dad. I'll never forget that image as long as I could. Now the alarms are going off. Something ain't right. He pulls me aside and says, listen, your mom has cancer, and she had surgery today. But you see, a love of a mother, she didn't want that to distract what was going on in my life. She didn't want me not to play that game that night because I was so worried about her. You see, there's something in in mothers that that protection mode and and their giving and their heart. And so she refused to let anyone know until that was over. So now we begin the journey of cancer. Many of you have walked through that or know people that have walked through that. 
I graduated that year, went on to Central Bible College. I began the call of God on my life and cool things beginning to happen. And in between my sophomore and junior year, I was married to my wife who I'd met at church camp three years prior. How many are thankful that a lot of times God puts a spouse in your life that balances you out or is able to, to walk with you through some tough things? I'll never forget, I was in a broker's office in Springfield, Missouri, and he was a client of mine. I was just kind of getting to know him. And, and I come in there one day, and he says, you know what? I have got to meet your wife sometime because she has got to be just incredibly beautiful. She has got to be knockout gorgeous. And, I mean, he just keeps going on and on and on. And, you know, I'm not a very violent person, but I'm like, look, this needs to, t- this needs to stop, okay? I don't know where you're going with this. I don't know what you're trying to get at. He looks at me and he says, no, I'm just saying she has to be absolutely beautiful because they always say opposites attract, right? (laughs) Yeah, and there's a whole lot of you men in the same boat I'm in, so let's be thankful that opposites attract, amen? (laughs) But God puts people in our life that balances us out. That they are able to walk through those things. And so as we're married and, and there during that summer, it looked like the cancer was going away. And then as we go back to school that fall, it begins to come back with a vengeance. As we come home for that Christmas break, I remember spending most of it in the hospital. She was let out for a few hours during Christmas Day. Every bone in my body, as it come time to go back to Central Bible College, wanted to spend every moment that I could with my mother. And she said this. She said, I went to Central Bible College for one year, and I was never able to go back because of finances. It's always been my dream and my prayer that one of my children would be able to go. We're going back to school. And so we left went back, and within a few weeks of being back in school, I received the first call from my father that no dad ever wants to make, and he just simply said, it's time to come home. I remember driving home, see her that night. This godly woman who had, who had given so much to her family and to the church and, and people were, were praying around the clock and, and were believing and she would never talk about anything except God was going to raise her up, that God was going to heal her. And she passes away. And questions begin to enter into our mind and we wonder, God, how can this happen? She had such strong faith and, and little do we know that in my life as I'm looking back, there were seeds that were now planted inside of my life, a seed of doubt. Even though I continued to travel for the next, after I graduated for the next five years as an evangelist, as I look back, I see that, that seed just kind of continued to grow. That little question mark, God, Why? This was an amazing woman of God. How could this happen? And as we come through, getting to be now it's 1992, traveling as evangelists, it's getting harder and harder to survive. We're, we're staying booked up. We've got our third child on the way, and, and it's getting very difficult. And so I remember again t- today I'm going to share at times some conversations I've had with God. doesn't mean I'm always proud of them, but 
I think all of us at some level at different types have had similar type conversations. I remember praying, God, we're, we're doing what you want us to do, we're, we're, but, but we're just struggling. We just can't keep our bills paid. It's just this constant pressure. And, and I remember saying this to God, God, if you don't know how to provide for my finances, I do. It's called a job. I look back at that arrogant statement. I wonder what if. What if I'd stayed the course another week, another month? How close was I to that breakthrough that was coming? So in 1992, I took a job in Great Bend, Kansas. It was supposed to be just be a short-term job, but 10 years later, we were still there. It was a job that provided great for my family. We had three wonderful boys. They were involved in sports and the community, and, and, and really, it would seem almost like in some ways that, you know, the, the, the perfect American dream type of life, everything's just clicking along. You're able to do fun things. You're, you're not stressing over money all the time. You know, God, there's been all these, these things that have happened and opened up. And you think life is just cruising right along. And then in a moment, October 19, 2001, standing at the Great Bend High School football game. I received the second call from my dad, and my dad had lost me. Rick, it's been an accident, and your son is dead. I was screaming into the phone, no, and I grabbed my wife, and we take off running, and now everything is flipped upside down, and those doubts and those questions and all those things now come right back to the forefront. How could this happen, God? How could this happen? And all of a sudden, you realize that this journey of grief, it seems like it should, that, that you realize that it's going to be a long one. When we initially had it happen, there, man, there were great people that surrounded us. Those of you that have walked through it, the part of the funeral and the funny stories, that you know, it, it, it's very comforting at that time. But all of a sudden, they get to go back, and, and they go back to their lives. And three, four weeks later, I remember sitting in my backyard, probably one of the darkest days I've had. Remember, God, there were some great people that surrounded us. But all of them got to go home and kiss their children goodnight. They never will again. And I realized I was going to forever carry this burden. And I was ready to quit. I was ready to check in. I don't think I can do it. See, the grieving process a lengthy one. And even now as I share about it and, and bring hope and encouragement to people, there's still emotions that are attached to that. There's still triggers and, and things that go on that, 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 that we that always kind of bring that back to the forefront. It's things like you, you don't even think about seven, eight months later and after the accident and we're laying in bed one night, middle of the night, and I wake up to my wife sobbing uncontrollably. And I, I, I'm dazed. I don't understand what, what's going on. She said, 
case of my tooth fairy. First day of that lifestyle. You realize these triggers, this process is a long way. Or your 14-year-old son that was with your 12-year-old son when it happened. You wish you had the easy answers. You wish you could just explain it all away. But all I can say is, son, it's going to get better. We're, we're going to make it through this. It's going to get better. Driving down the road one day, and he looks up to me and he says, Daddy, when's it going to get better? I don't have an answer. Because as a father, there's every bone in my body that wished that I would have been me that was there. Instead of him having to walk through those nightmares and the things that he faced as he was with his brother. You see, this is a long process. And it feels like our dreams have been crushed. When you lose someone that close, you feel like you'll never understand passion again. I remember I just from being a highly competitive person to always thinking I had to win to realizing what's it matter in the scope of life. I'd lose every game I played again for the rest of my life if I could have my son back. You see, your perspective begins to change. What does it matter in the scope of things? So about a year after the accident, we decided to move. We moved to Springfield, Ozark, Missouri, just south of Springfield, Missouri, and I entered into the mortgage business. And I quickly learned something. Back then, the mortgage business was flourishing and easy come with, with the money and, and all of that. And, and I realized something. And hear me out as I, as I explain this out. People often say money can't buy happiness. And I disagree with that. And here's why. Because happiness, the, the Latin word has this idea of happen chance. It's these ups and downs. You see, people can create moments of happiness. People can create moments of distraction, but they're always going to crash or they always have to look for that next big thing or that next high or, or that next thing that's going to get them back up on top. You see, when you understand what the joy of the Lord is, it is no longer this, but now it becomes much more of this, that the joy and the peace of the Lord will sustain you when you understand that. But people are busy chasing happiness. I soon learned that I could create distractions that would help hide my pain. That if I made enough money, we could buy the new car, we could buy the new house, we could go on trips, we could go out and eat, we could do all these, these things. And it was nothing more than a distraction. And I always had to go find the next one. I tell people money became my addiction. Always looking for that next high. And I define addiction as, what's your coping mechanism? How do you cope with life when it gets tough? We all have these little things. And it's not that they're all bad even. But we all have these little things that, that we want to do when life's pressures begin to get tough. And I tell people, you know what? God wants to be your addiction. God wants to be your coping mechanism. God wants to walk you through those times. But it's oh so easy to start looking on the outside. That's so why I was good at creating distractions, never dealing with what was on the inside and the hurt and the pain that was in there. It was a facade. In 2006, the mortgage industry began to crash. And there goes everything. 
We had a couple of rental houses. The one renters that were paying every month are moving out. The other renter I can't get rent from. And I can't even afford my own mortgage of the house I'm living in. Because everything was crashing. It was during that time that I cried back out to God and said, God, I sure have made a mess of things. Will you forgive me? We decided to move back closer to home to be around family in May of 2007. We moved back to Wichita, Kansas and started attending Believer's Tabernacle just as members sitting in the congregation. God was doing some really cool things in my life, personally in my devotional life. It was just amazing. He was speaking to me. He was talking to me. There, there, there were all these great things going on. But I still had this call that was on the inside of me. And it was nagging at me. It was driving me crazy. In fact, I would come into church sometimes and I would sit there and I, it, it, it would almost be you know, just worse because I would sit there and be thinking, not jealous of this person, but that should be me up there. That should be me in the ministry. And again, not jealous of the person, but God, how are you going to use me? At least show me what that looks like. At least show me what that call is so that I can begin working towards that. Maybe I need to take classes. Maybe I need to do this or do that. Whether it's a one or two or three or four years down the road, at least show me what that call means. 18 months, total silence. When it comes to that topic. Again, on the other side, I'm having some incredible times with God. 18 months, total silence. Day after day, having that same conversation with God. I'm driving down the road, leaving from Wichita, heading to Hutch. I'm having that same conversation with God. Probably as close as it's ever come to actually hearing a verbal voice from God. He says, Rick, you haven't given me everything. What? God, are you paying attention? I don't have anything left. We've lost everything. We're ruined. Are you not paying attention? You must be talking to the car in front of me because I don't understand. I don't know what else you want. You know, you should probably never ask God that question either, right? Sitting alongside that road, tears streaming down my face. God says, You haven't given me a son. I kind of now now that you say it, I'm kind of happy the way things are. I've, you know, my personal life's going okay, but I've kind of got this tucked away in the corner, and and I really don't want to deal with it because there's a lot of questions and things I don't understand about it. See, God knew if it wasn't dealt with, it would become an issue later. I remember visually sitting alongside the road, picking up my son. Carrying him to the foot of the cross, saying, Here he is. Here's my greatest hurt. Here's my greatest pain, my greatest wound. Here's my greatest question about who you are, God, and why these things can happen. If you can take my son, use it for your glory.
I'll do whatever you ask. Instantly, setting alongside the road, the Dream Again ministry began to unfold. The name, everything, just boom. 18 months. You see, sometimes we're trying to say, God, how are you going to use me? Where do you want me? What is my calling? But you know what? There's still things God's trying that we haven't given to God. We're holding something back many times. And God is wanting us to be pure and clean before him so that we can move forward. Helping others. So I started back taking classes in counseling, working on my master's in Christian counseling. In May of 2009 at Believer's Tabernacle, we opened the Dream Again Counseling Center. Oh, man. I was going to work part-time and do this a couple days a week. I can't even put into words what that day felt like. It come 5, 6 o'clock in the evening. I, I set, I'd set the office. I didn't even want to go home. I was just basking in, yeah, okay, God, all this journey and everything we've been through and, and cramming the courses done so I can get into this spot. And now here it is. I am so blessed. Right, right back where you want me. It's a glorious day. May of 2009. That was the happy ending. The story ended right there. One month later, I received a call from the FBI. I was involved with the mortgage investment group back when I was in Springfield. They had decided that it was illegal, even though there was lawyers and real estate agents and everything involved. It didn't matter. Well, in fact, the federal government, you better have a lot of money. September 2009, never being in trouble in my life, never even had a speeding ticket in my life, I stand before a federal judge and plead guilty to a plea agreement. And I'm crushed. What did you do? Just toying with me, God? Just bring me back here to get all excited and everything. And then you just yank the rug right out from under me again. God, I don't understand. Shame. But you feel the embarrassment that you feel for your family, for your church, for those around you. So now you're dealing with all of this and figuring I'm done. God could never use me again. I'm done. I'm fixing to be a felon. Who would ever want me? In March of 2010, I self-surrendered to Yankton Federal Prison Camp in Yankton, South Dakota for 11 and a half months. Separated from my family again, who we'd been through so much. Questions were rising in my head. The shame and the guilt of what, we, what was going through. I remember one of the first letters Besides writing to my family that I was okay, it's to my dad. I said, Dad, I don't even deserve to have the under name anymore. Why don't you just wipe it out? Why don't you just take me out of your will? Because I'm such an embarrassment to the family. How could this happen? See, the enemy loves to take the shame and the embarrassment of our past 
and drive us, drive it in so hard that it thinks we can never be used again. I see God began to do amazing things. I began to understand this word comfort in a greater way than I would have ever understood it before. Because when you go into prison, you meet a lot of bitter men. And they're bitter because they've been abandoned. A lot of them are in there for drug charges. What do you think happens when they're going in? They're being questioned about drug charges. Where do you think their friends go? Ain't got no one left. Other charges, people scattering. Multiple men getting divorce papers while I was in there. And I see the heartache and the bitterness and the brokenness from being abandoned. And yet on the other hand, I am seeing what comfort is all about. And my sister began to rally the troops. You're friends with us on Facebook. You can find me on Facebook. You can find the Dream Again Ministry on Facebook. But sometimes you may wonder if we like each other because we're always jarring at each other, pushing each other's buttons. She rallied the troops. She started a private group. And every day for that first month that I was in there, I had no less than five and as many as 12 cards and letters coming. The people saying, we still believe in you. We still love you. We're still behind you no matter what's happened. God still has a plan for your life. I remember taking those letters and I'd slide them under my pillow and I'd wait till everyone would go to supper because I knew as soon as I started reading them, I was going to cry. God had surrounded me with people that were speaking comfort and encouragement into my life. You see, sometimes at church we think comfort is a little pat on the back and, hey, hope you do better next week. That Greek word means to walk alongside. Are you willing to walk alongside someone when they're walking through those dark times? You see, as we look at chapter 7, verse 5, we drive this home with what Paul experienced. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort which with he was comforted by you. Get this, this is Paul we're talking about, who had been to the third heaven, who wrote most of the New Testament. God could have sent angels down to minister to him. God could have done so many other things. He, he communicated with God on a completely different level, and yet here he is, he's beaten down, he's tired, and he's weary, and you know God who comforts the downcast, you know what he did? He sent a person into Paul's life, Titus, to speak encouragement to him. See, comfort is contagious. Just read that. The church comforted Titus. Titus comforted Paul. And now we see Paul with renewed hope. See, when you get a hold of God's comfort, when you get a hold of how God can radically change you, it begins to, to change everything. People, as you understand comfort, see, that's what I said. You can talk to people at a different level. If you've lost a child, you and I can communicate at a different level. That doesn't mean other people can't speak life to you. And so God was taking this time. So I saw firsthand what comfort means. That, that sometimes we as a church, that, that are we missing the boat, that, that comfort is, is really about drawing them. I love the outreach stuff. I love that stuff. Because you're wanting to walk alongside it. 
You're saying come join our family because there is someone that cares. And I'm going to pray with you and shove you down the road. If you'll come back, we'll receive you. That's a powerful ministry. And see, during that time, God began to change me even more. God began to put a chaplain in my life that I began to meet with weekly, and he began to speak life to me. It was an amazing time. See, so often, perspective begins to dictate what our attitudes are. What's your perspective? I'll never forget walking down the sidewalk there at Yankton, and there was a gentleman sitting on a bench, and understand that the Yankton was actually Yankton College back, and it had beautiful buildings from the 1890s and the early 1900s. Some of them were actually on the historical register. And they would teach men a horticulture degree. And so in the summer, you would literally see 230-some thousand flowers and plants that were planted. The grass was always green. It was always mowed, mowed twice a week. Because I guess we had time to do it. I'm walking down, and Brian Phoenix, who would later become a very good Christian brother of mine, hey, we in prison. Oh, okay. <laughs> Behind him was 40 or 50 roses in this rose bush. Hey, we in prison. We got roses. <laughs> Did you ever think you would be in prison and there'd be roses right here? You see, he had come from a medium security, and he had come where all he saw was walls and chain link fence and dirt. And as he come here, he saw God's beauty even in the midst of a tough circumstance. And sometimes I, I take from that, sometimes we just need to stop and smell the roses. Because God wants to change your perspective. God wants to show you that where you're at is in his plan, that you're never Things that never happened that are so bad that you can't be used of God. See, I believe everyone has a call. It's helping at the church, in your community, at your job. If it's with maps, everyone has this call. God wants you to be active in the kingdom. But the thing I learned pastoring and, and having people come to me is many times they would say something similar to this. Pastor, I would love to help you with that group, but you just don't understand my past. Well, you don't really understand mine either, so let's talk. See, the enemy always tells us how broken down we are. And God sees us for who he's created. So go in the countryside, it's always interesting. I'll see abandoned houses, and there's a first picture here of an abandoned house. And I always, I always wondered, my mind always goes here, what happened? I mean, at some point, I mean, that's a huge house. At some point, man, that someone was doing very well. It was freshly painted. It was furnished. They probably had friends and family over to celebrate the time that they moved in. And I, and I wonder, what happened? What happened? Did their crops fail multiple years? Did they mismanage their finances? Did someone pass away? What happened to that beautiful house? You know what I realized? Is that many people today see their lives as that broken down house. 
They don't see the beauty of what God wants to do in your life. We're always saying, if you really knew who I was, if you understood the things I think and the things that I go through, you wouldn't want me. We've allowed the enemy to put labels on us. We've allowed the enemy to hold us back from being everything that God wants us to do because deep down inside, many of us begin to believe that. I thought when I lost my son, I'd never understand passion again. I thought when I went to prison, I was done. I would never be able to be used of God again. God allows us to dream again. God takes the broken pieces and the broken hurts and the things of our life and He brings a brand new path to us. There's another picture of a broken down house. Same thing, what happened? So many of us see that. But God created us. You know what God sees? God sees the next picture. God sees a beautiful person that He wants to use and things have happened in your life that now you can speak comfort and life to others. I stand here today every time. As you know, it's emotional for me to share my testimony, but I want to do it because I'm passionate about people dreaming again, dreaming big dreams, that the kingdom of God, there's so many people. Listen to the people that want in prayer. There's so many hurting people out there just in one line. There's so much we can do. See, no matter what shame, no matter what the enemy tries to tell you, God wants you to dream again. God wants you to do incredible things for the kingdom. If He can use me, He can use any of us. Because I was broken, but God rebuilt the house and He restored it.